Well, good morning, Grace Church. We want to wish you a happy 4th of July weekend. We want to welcome our Olmsted Falls campus and Lorraine Correctional. We rejoice in the reports we hear about what God is doing there at Lorraine Correctional. And uh, we're going to continue our series today, Whitewater Navigating Life's Rapids as a Church Centered on Christ. And you'll remember the first couple of chapters, uh, Paul is addressing the division in the church. They're polarized around different human spiritual leaders. And uh, Paul is correcting that and kind of uh, giving correction from God himself on what spiritual leadership really is. And uh, the, the encouraging thing about chapter 4, which we'll be in today, is that he gives us here in this chapter several requirements for those that want to make an impact, a spiritual impact on others. And so we could call this uh, requirements for spiritual influencers, which all of us are, not just the leaders, but all of us, once we come to know Jesus in a personal way, God wants to work through us to extend his life and his blessing to, to those around us. So if you look at your handout, um, Paul is continuing in this chapter to correct the wrong man-centered human ideas the Corinthians had about leadership in the church. And in so doing, he clarifies how God wants to, to work through all of his people, people just like you and I, to bring spiritual life and healing and, and make an eternal difference on those around us. And so here, he's going to spell out, uh, what do we have to do? What are the requirements if we can do that effectively? And so he lists four. He gives us four requirements um, if we want to amplify and ramp up the spiritual influence and impact that we have. And the first one is genuine humility. Genuine humility. And I'm going to read chapter 4, verses 1 to 2, and then I'll skip down and read a couple more verses. But 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2. So then, men ought to regard us this way, as servants of Christ and as those who have been entrusted, or other translations say, as stewards of the secret things of God. And now it's required that those who are stewards, those who have been given a trust, must prove faithful. And then skip down to verse 7. He's talking about him and Apollos again. And then he says, For who makes you different from anyone else? And what do you have that you have not received? And if you did receive it, why did you boast as though you did not? One of the problems in the Corinthian church is they were puffed up with pride over their, their, their favorite leader, and that's what was causing the division. And Paul says there, wait a second, um, you only can make an impact for others if you have received gifts from God, opportunities from God, and the Holy Spirit from God. And then toward the end of the chapter in verse 14, I am not writing this to shame you, Paul says, but to warn you as my dear children, even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you don't have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father. I became your spiritual father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. And for this reason, I'm sending to you Timothy, my, my beloved son, who is faithful in the Lord, and he will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. 
So Paul begins by talking about humility. If you want God to use you, work through you, if you want to experience the blessing of God, it requires humble humility and submission to him. And I think Paul begins verse 4, he's really harking back to what he said in chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Only servants through whom you believed as the Lord has had assigned to each his task. I planted, Apollos watered, but it was God who gave the growth. And he's bringing them and us and back to that central factor that, that only God can change a person's heart. Only God can draw a person to faith. Only God can transform a person's life. And so we need to humble ourselves before that God and stay close to him. So he's expanding on that, and he's talking about who the spiritual leaders really are. He gives us a couple metaphors and says, anybody who's a spiritual leader and influencer in the church, this is who they really are. This is their identity. And the first word he uses in verse 1 It's translated in my Bible, in the NIV, as servants of Christ. But that's not really the usual word for servant. The the word he uses, we are under rowers. Now, you've seen pictures of those galley ships during the Roman Empire that had all the oars sticking out. And there were rows of these under rowers under the deck who would all row in unison and they had a mean boss that would walk up and down and push them to row harder. And this was a dirty, difficult, smelly, unglamorous job. And, you know, down below deck, they they had inspirational posters on the wall that said the beatings will continue until morale improves. It 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 was that kind of job. Not glamorous at all. And the Corinthians had put Paul and Apollos up on a pedestal, you know, these great, wonderful... He says, we are under the authority of Jesus. We are humble servants of Jesus, and we're just trying to be obedient to him and do what he commands. Um, That's our identity as followers of Jesus. He's the great one. He's the one that does all the work. He's the one that can only change a person's life and make a person grow. And the more we remember that, remember that the more effective we're going to be. Um, there have been some, some well-known leaders in church history that got this right. One of them was a guy named D.L. Moody, Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, Moody Radio, named after Dwight Moody. He was probably the greatest evangelist of the late 1800s, had an enormous ministry here over in Europe. And that one day, he met a pastor who really wanted to meet him, met him for the first time, and the pastor starts heaping on the praise. You know, what an honor to meet the great Dwight Moody, this instrument, this great man of God he's used to reach so many hundreds of people. And Moody reached down, and he scooped up a handful of dirt, and he let the dirt pour through his hands. And he says, this is what D.L. Moody is, apart from the power and the blessing of God. This is, this is who I am, dirt. And that's, that, that, that's, a, that's something, that should be our mindset. That's something we should remember. And Moody was a guy who, who really believed and lived out, John 15, 5. If you abide in me and I, I remain in you, you'll bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. And he, he, he lived that out. And that's why God used him to reach so many people. And then Paul goes on and says, here's another word picture. Here's another metaphor for those of us who who are spiritual leaders. 
Um, we are literally, he says, we are stewards. We are stewards of the mysteries of God. And mysteries of God, it simply means that many things in the New Testament were kind of unclear. They were kind of mysterious in the Old Testament. But after Jesus came, died, rose, poured out the Holy Spirit, those things burst into crystal clarity, and they're in the New Testament today. So he says, we are stewards of the, of the Word of God, the mysteries of God. What did he mean by that? Well, in the first century, there were many wealthy Roman landowners that had big estates, and they were kind of absentee landlords, and they would hire people, and sometimes these people would be Roman slaves. They would hire them to manage the estate while they were gone. And so the owner owned everything, and the, the manager, the steward, was simply a, a, a hired, hireling. He didn't own anything, but he would manage the affairs. He would oversee the workers. He would provide the food for everybody who was an employee there. And he was completely accountable and responsible to the master. And so we, as believers, we don't, we don't originate the word of God. We don't originate the message. We don't come up with it on our own. We don't own anything but we serve a very great and powerful and generous master. And we want to, we are the delivery system for his gospel, for his word. Um, we're his, his errand boys. And we don't come up with the message, but we are to faithfully pass it on and communicate it to the people around us. And then he goes on and he gives the primary requirement for those who are going to serve God, who are going to be his, his servants and his stewards. He says, what they must be above all else is they need to be faithful. They need to be reliable. They need to humbly obey me and, and do what I say. And I love that because you'll notice what he doesn't say. He says, if you're going to serve me, if you're going to be a spiritual influencer, you have to be eloquent. In fact, you have to be brilliant. You have to have some theological degrees behind your name. You have to be ordained. You have to be clever. You have to have a lot of charisma. No, it doesn't say any of those things. He says you have to be humble and trust in me and have a willing heart and seek to share my message without corrupting it. And uh, many of you here have experienced that. And, I, you know, this, this lesson kind of came home to me in a really powerful way as a young Christian. I was a baby Christian. I had been a follower of Christ for less than a year. I had been attending Grace for less than a year. And the Cuyahoga County Fair came around again. And they started talking about this place out there, this booth or little area where volunteers from Grace Church go and try to get in spiritual conversation with people and, and share their faith. And I, I, got, I, peer, I got peer pressured into it. And I don't know if there was a girl I was trying to impress that was going to be there. But pure peer pressure, I said, okay, but I was, I was scared to death. I mean, I had never really shared my faith before. And they used a little gold booklet. You know what I'm talking about? A little gold booklet. And so I, I think I read that once before I went. But the day came, I went. And secretly, I'm thinking to myself, I sure hope I don't see anybody I know. And I, sh I sure hope I don't have to talk to anybody because I was, I was scared to death. So sure enough, here comes two guys from Mid Park High School, two guys that I knew. And they saw me, they came, hey, what are you doing here? I told them what I was doing, and one of the guys said, well, I'm, I'm not interested, so he said, I'll, I'll catch up with you later to his friend. But his, his friend was interested, so I said, would you like to go through this book? He said, yes. 
I thought, oh no, you know, so I go back and, <laughs> and I'm getting more scared and nervous by the minute, but we go back, we sit down, I walk through this, this booklet and I get to the two little circles. One of them, Christ is on the throne, the other one, Christ is up. And which one represents you, this one? Which one would you like to represent you? And I'm saying, please don't point to that one. Please don't point. He pointed to that one. And I, I seriously considered falling on the ground and faking like I was having a seizure, you know. <laughs> but I didn't, you know. So I, I read through the prayers. Does this re- represent your desire? Yes, it does. And then and there, that guy prayed and invited Jesus to come into his life and forgive his sins and be the leader of his life. And that young man's name is Jonathan. Shh, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But I I went home that night on cloud nine and very, very surprised that God can work through somebody ignorant and imperfect and a young baby Christian like me. And I've never forgotten that. And some of you have experienced the same thing. Um, You don't have to be eloquent. You have to be dependent on God and step out in faithful obedience. So that's the first one, genuine humility. The second one is complete reliance on a sovereign, powerful God. We plant, we water, but only God can cause the growth. And this comes from verse 7. They had been comparing all these different spiritual leaders. Verse 7, Paul says, who makes you different from anyone else? The answer to that is God does, the Holy Spirit does. God has a unique calling and unique gifts for each one of us. Each one of us has a a, a unique temperament, unique abilities, unique experiences, unique gifts, unique insights. And the Holy Spirit gives each of us different spiritual gifts and abilities that come from him that empower us to make an eternal impact on other people. What do you have that you have not received? The word is, the answer is nothing. Um, all that we have, all the gifts and abilities, and especially all the spiritual insights and abilities we have, are generated in us from the Holy Spirit. And so when we step out to share the Word of God and get involved in a ministry, the Holy Spirit empowers us. He's the one that makes it effective. And God loves diversity. I mean, there is enormous diversity in the body of Christ. And it, it, it kind of reminds me of like the, the, our average kitchen has all these different electrical appliances, some big ones, some little gadgets that are on the counter. But what's the power source for every one of those electric appliances? You plug it into the electricity. And so we're all different. We all have different abilities, but the same exact power source. And God's power works through us only as we stay connected to him, abiding in him, seeking to live in in fellowship with him. And aren't you glad that the power comes from God? It doesn't come from us. We don't have it. So I love this uh, story from Luis Palau was a famous Christian leader. He was from Argentina originally. He would speak at evangelistic meetings all over the place. And then he started coming to America and uh, he saw hundreds, probably thousands of people come to saving faith in Jesus. And he talked about one of his crusades that was down in South America. He said, um, we had a training class, training people how to introduce somebody to Jesus. And he said, one of those, um, there was a very 
poor, shoeless, unshaven man who came to the training class. He says, generally, it's the, it's the better educated, spiritually mature leaders of the local churches who attend the training. So it was unusual to have a guy like this. He couldn't read and write. Obviously, he was poor. But he attended every class that week, and little did we realize how much he had learned. Several weeks later, during the crusade, during the evangelistic meetings, every other counselor at our center was busy, except for this man. Just then, a doctor walked in requesting counsel. Now, he says, in Latin America, doctors tend to be wealthy, very sophisticated, very well-dressed. This doctor was no exception. Before anybody could stop him, this shabbily-dressed old man took the doctor into a room for counseling. When our director discovered, discovered what happened, he was a bit concerned. But when the doctor came out of the room, the director asked if he could help him in any way. No, thank you, the doctor said. This fellow has helped me very much. The next day, the doctor came back with two other doctors. And uh, our director immediately went up to, up to him as the director wanted to talk to him. But the doctor refused, asking for counsel from the same shoeless, illiterate man. And by the end of that week, that man had led four doctors and their wives to saving faith in Jesus. He couldn't read, he couldn't read or write, but he was filled with the Spirit, and he walked with God, and God worked through him to, to, to draw people to himself. Folks, there's hope for us. There's hope for every single one of us. I love what Major Ian Thomas used to say. He was talking about Moses when God spoke to Moses through the burning bush. Was there anything special about the bush? No, it was, it was, the, it was God was in the bush. So uh, Thomas used to say, uh, it, it, it doesn't matter anything about the bush as long as God is in the bush. That doesn't matter anything else about the bush. We are temples of the Holy Spirit and God can work through us if we will allow him to and trust him to. So complete reliance on a sovereign, powerful God. The third requirement is a willingness to, to invest in people and speak God's truth to people. We see that in verses 14 and 15. Paul stepped out and preached the gospel. He preached God's word to people, and many of them in Corinth came to faith in Jesus. He said, I became your spiritual father through the gospel. And what had Paul experienced in his life? You know, there's a common pattern throughout the Bible. Many of us have experienced it already. But you look at Paul's life, he was an enemy of Christianity. He thought Jesus was a false messiah, a false teacher. Um, he was persecuting the church. And then Jesus dramatically appeared to Paul, came into his life, knocked him off the donkey, blinded him, got his attention, and he put his faith in Jesus. And then God called him, said, Paul, I have a ministry for you. You're going to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And it's going to involve persecution. It's going to involve suffering. But I am going to use you greatly. And so Paul learned to abide in Christ. He fed upon the word of God. And then Jesus sent him out. And he spent the rest of his life preaching the gospel and winning people to faith in Christ. If you read the Gospels, there's a very familiar pattern. That pattern is come, follow, go. Jesus invited people to come to him and receive him and surrender to him. And they were born again and they were saved and they were washed clean. And then he invited them to abide in him and abide in his teaching. 
and learn from his, internalize his truth, internalize his teaching. And then eventually he pushed them out of the nest. He commissioned them to go, go and share what you've learned. Invest in other people what you have learned. And I love Tim Keller, who was a pastor for many, many years in Manhattan, recently graduated to heaven, but left a great legacy. And he used this metaphor. He said, God is like a spiritual tornado. What what does a tornado do? It, It draws people and things in with this incredible drawing power. And then the tornado invites them in and says, here, spin a while. Stay with me and spin a little while. And then eventually, what does the tornado do? He, sh- he shoots them back out. Now, that's not a perfect illustration, I know, because tornadoes are destructive. God is a constructive, beneficial, life-changing tornado, spiritually speaking. And he draws us in, and he opens our eyes to his beauty and his goodness. And we fall in love with him, and we learn to walk with him. We learn from him. But Jesus always wants them to send us back out. Go and invest what I've done in your life. You invest and share that with other people. And what's the primary thing that we have that makes us effective? Paul said, I became your father through the what? Through the gospel. It's the word of God that's the powerful too. It's living It's active. It doesn't return to God empty, but it performs its work in those who believe. And so we share God's truth. That's what's powerful. The Holy Spirit uses God's truth to penetrate into people's hearts and to change their lives. So that's the secret. Came across this story not too long ago. It's about a guy named Luke Short, and this took place in the late 1700s. There was a man who lived in Virginia named Luke Short. He had grown up in England hearing the great British Puritan pastors preaching, but he never came to faith in Christ. He ended up moving to the colonies. He lived in Virginia. And one day he was sitting outside in the summer at the ripe old age of 103 years old. And as he was was sitting there, the Holy Spirit brought back to his mind a sermon that he had heard by one of the great British Puritan pastors. And as he reflected on that sermon, it came back to him with with such force that he was convicted of his sin, and right then and there, he repented of his sin, and he turned to Jesus, and he invited Jesus to come into his life and forgive him and save him. He lived three more years, died at the ripe old age of 106, But here's the kicker. The sermon he had heard that led him to faith in Christ, he had heard 85 years earlier when he was back in England. And he didn't remember a lot of it, but the Holy Spirit brought back to his remembrance a key part of that sermon. And it was enough enough to convert him to faith in Christ right on the spot. The word of God, the gospel of God, is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. And that's the mighty weapon that God has put in our hands. As we share God's truth with others, the Holy Spirit makes it effective. So Paul spoke family truth or or birth truth, spiritual birth truth. And he set a great example for us. When we're rubbing shoulders around people who are not yet believers... We want to share things appropriate to salvation, things that, 
that, that show the, the attractiveness, the beauty, the satisfaction of being a Christian. We share birth truth. In Colossians 4, 5, and 6, Paul tells us to do that. He says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer every person. He says, take advantage of the opportunity. When you're around people that are not yet believers, look for opportunities to get into to spiritual conversations and throw out a little spiritual bait and see if they want to know more. And if they open the door, we can go further and sometimes even share the whole gospel. So we are to share birth truth with those who are not yet believers. And then we're to share growth truth when we're around Christians. Uh, uh, no unwholesome word out of your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, upbuilding. So as we're around other Christians and rubbing shoulders and doing Bible study and small groups and all that, we want to share truth that's appropriate to their condition and what they're going, to, going through that'll be relevant to that moment. I love Proverbs 15, 23. A, a person finds joy in giving an apt reply, and how good is a timely word, an appropriate word, appropriate to that thing that that person is going through. But it's the word of God that makes us effective as spiritual influencers. And then one last thing, one fourth thing that also makes us effective, and that is a life, a consistent life that backs up our words. Behind our words, there's a life that, not perfect, but a life that's consistent with what we profess to believe. People would rather see a sermon than hear one any day. And when they see one, it'll, it will impact them much more than just hearing it. And Paul himself provided a compelling example, a spiritually provocative and magnetic life that was consistent with his message. And that's what he's talking about here. He says, imitate me. You know how I lived among you. And when you are, are living out what you really believe, it, it, it inspires people to think, you know what? God really can grow me and change me if I keep seeking him and keep following him. And so a, a life that matches our words. In other words, our, our video uh, ought to match our audio. And uh, that will amplify our impact. Um, I love what a, a, there's a Jewish rabbi, contemporary Jewish rabbi, he said this. He said, the world doesn't need more textbooks. It needs more text people. People whose lives embody what they believe and what they teach. And so we don't have to be perfect. We'll never be perfect. But growing people grow other people. People who are being changed and transformed will impact and inspire other people. So let me close with this quote from the great British pastor, Charles Spurgeon, who preached in London the second half of the 19th century and made an enormous impact for the kingdom of God. He said, I wouldn't give a dime for a religion that can't be seen. Lamps don't speak, but they do shine. And so, will you seek God and allow him to make you more and more shiny and, and, and change your life so that when you do speak, uh, your, your words will be amplified and have an eternal impact? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that 
For most of us in this room, Lord, you drew us into yourself. We have responded to your call, and we're following you. We're seeking you. We're growing in grace. And Lord, I thank you for the many here at Grace who are going. Lord, who are serving, who are speaking your truth to others and serving you in ministry. Lord, I pray for each one of us that, Lord, you would stir our hearts to seek you more, to follow you more closely, to abide in you more consistently in order that we may speak powerful words, powerful words of God that draw people to Jesus and closer to him. Lord, thank you for dignifying our short lives with the ability to make an eternal impact in others, an eternal difference in other, others' lives. Lord, would you continue to use us to do just that? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.